Well, as I said just a few minutes ago, um, today is a little bit different because we just wanted to take some time and answer questions that you might have about faith, about God, about the Bible, um, just whatever. And uh, so we have uh, the we have the questions that you sent us. If you sent them to us early enough, we spent a good amount of time and went through them. If you sent them to us this morning, um, about seven o'clock, uh, we have had less time to uh, do those. So, as I told the first service, uh, we're human. So if you made a graph, and like the later you sent it, the quality of the answer would only go down. Yeah. Uh, so. Some of those we're going to save for yeah. some future Q&As. Yeah, but as I, and the other thing I said before was uh, we got enough questions and we, um, we think this is valuable enough that we want to do this a little more regularly where we just kind of sit and answer some questions that, that people have about faith and, and all of those things. If you have any questions that you would like to ask, uh, my phone number is right up there. I have my phone. Um, feel free to text them to me. There could and also be follow-up questions in case you know we explain something maybe not the clearest way, or right. Uh, we may or may not be able to get to follow-up questions. Or even uh, the questions that came in uh, were uh, were able to be anonymous. So if you asked a question and you feel like we didn't really fully answer what you were asking, um, you can text as well. Um, and so, so there is that. Uh, so the first question is, how can I be sure that I'm living or doing things in the will of God? And that's a good question. I think it's a question that most people have is how can I know for sure that what I'm doing is God's will and, and if this is the right thing or the, or the wrong thing? Um, and so my first thing to say to that would be, uh, does it line up with scripture? Is, is what you're, uh, the way you're living is the things you're doing, does it line up with what scripture says? If it doesn't line up with scripture said, then you're probably not in the will of God. If you are, we talked about in the first service, if you're embezzling funds from the company. Um, if you come to me and say, money's a little tight and God really told me I need to just skim a couple thousand, I'm going to say, I, I don't think God told you that. Uh, in fact, I can tell you pretty assuredly from scripture that's not what God is saying. Yeah. So uh, first of all, does it line up with scripture? Uh, secondly, as you pray about it, uh, go in the direction in which you feel peace. Um, you know, see, God's good enough that he does, it's not always like a true, false, yes, this is it, no, it's not. Sometimes God will give you options um, and, and really any of those could work. Um, it's, it's like when, you know, when you're getting married or have a girlfriend or boy, boyfriend, you know, a lot, you know, some people believe, oh, there's a soulmate, that there's only one person in the whole world for you. Um, I don't think that that's completely I, accurate. I said earlier when my wife wasn't here, if she died six months before we, like, met each other and started dating, I don't think it means I have to 
be alone my entire life. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Hi, Daisy. Um, but, um, but yeah, sometimes give, God will give you multiple choice and not one or the other is particularly bad. Um, so sometimes, sometimes you just have to pray and see where God uh, gives you peace over a certain thing. Um, the other thing uh, is that um, get, get some strong Christians around you that know the word well and ask them um, and get advice from, from people. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we can be too narrow. I mean, sometimes God will very specifically tell us something. But I think it's about having a posture of holding things up before God, especially if you're at a big crossroads in life, but even sometimes smaller decisions. Um, but again, sometimes it's not super specific. I, I said earlier, if, if uh, you're shopping for a car and you're like, honey, God really wants us to get that Mustang. You know, I mean, all the options fully loaded, you know. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I don't want to limit what yeah. calls to. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you have a whole choice of cars there. You, you have a choice of, of, of finding someone to be your spouse. Uh, but I think there is an importance, especially the, some bigger things, of having a posture, holding things up for God. Uh, when I was in the hiring process here, you know, we're, we were praying throughout it and saying, God, do you, do you want us to stay where you have us now? Because we were distinctly called to that church, or are you freeing us up to go be called somewhere else. And over time, we found that that's what God was calling us to, was to come here. And I was offered the job, and it's kind of normal. A lot of times a pastor will say, you know, I need a day or two, or, you know, take some time to really pray about it. And I, we'd been praying about it for months, and I remember Mike Budzik called me on like a Wednesday and was like, you know, we want to offer you this position. I said, can I let you know by Saturday morning, just to have some time to pray? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I'm praying about a Thursday morning, and I, I remember I started to laugh because I really felt God distinctly telling me, please, just, just stop. Go do it. Like, you don't have to ask me about this. Like, again, like, I've given you answers. Yeah. You know, so and the funny like, thing was the same thing happened to me because I was praying, like, like God, I don't want to, like, go outside your will. Like, yeah. I want to make sure that John's the right guy. Yeah. Like, if, if I just want to make sure, just want to check in again, make sure. And, and I felt like God was saying, like, I've said yes. Like, how many times do I have to say yeah. yes? So sometimes um, there's, there's a lot to be said for yeah. your intuition and, and your own wisdom if it lines up with Scripture, yeah. if it lines up with good godly counsel. I mean, I went during that process was seeking out some trusted uh, mentors and, and, you know, uh, everything lined yeah. up. And, um, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people f- uh, falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Um, Proverbs 15.22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So there's, uh, there's wisdom in that. Um, so the next question uh, comes from the book of Genesis, and it is, who are the people of Nod? Um, in, in Genesis, around chapter four, um, so you have Adam and Eve, and then you have, they have twins, Cain and Abel, and Cain killed his brother Abel, and then it says that God sent him away to live in the land of Nod, and he had a wife, and so the question is, who are the people of Nod? And Cain went to Nod and obtained a wife there, question mark. Um, so there are some different theories on that, um, and the prevalent one being that he would have married one of his sisters, 
Um, and there is, you know, later in the law of the Bible, they talk about, you know, you shouldn't have relations with, with your brothers or sisters and, and that kind of thing. Um, but one, Adam and Eve, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of, of choices there. Um, but two, the law was there to help protect the people. Um, and so, you know, there with God at least understood that in incestuous relationships that, you know, if, if brother marries sister and they have a child, there's a lot higher uh, possibility of some kind of, of defect happening. Um, but at the very beginning, when Adam and Eve were created, they were created perfect. So they would have had perfect DNA. Um, and so, you know, after the fall, Adam and Eve would have had perfect DNA. Um, and their children uh, would not have. So as sin enters the world, the world begins to break down because of the fall. Um, and so you would have gone from perfect DNA to slightly less perfect DNA to slightly less perfect DNA, and it would have broken down. So by the time the law was written that you know started talking about those things, then there would have needed to be that in there. Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, some of the laws in the Old Testament are more um, solely practical-minded, seemingly, where like with eating pork or shellfish, like, you know, things that you wouldn't necessarily keep as clean or as well taken care of as, as you could in modern times. And then there's some that are like not just practical and biological, but also at the same time moral. So don't murder somebody. Well, that's practically if you kill all the farmers in the village and then you can't eat anymore and everyone starves to death. So like the, there's a good practical component of that. There's also a moral thing. It's a pretty big deal to God to murder somebody. So uh, but between those two, so, so sometimes, a lot of times it's both, I think, but there are some that's maybe a little more the, the practical and, and this at least is a very practical one. Yeah. Um, and, and then also, uh, it's possible, the, the word nod in Hebrew means wandering. Um, and so it's possible that there wasn't a specific land of nod, like there's a city of Logan. Uh, it could have been more that he sent him to the land of wandering. <laughs> And it meant that that Cain just wasn't really welcome anywhere, and he just kind of had to wander. And um, the, the way Scripture is written, sometimes like it's you know you have to kind of follow along and read between the lines. Because in Genesis four it says, um, "Then Cain uh, sixteen, then Cain Cain went out from the Lord's presence, lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden." Next verse seventeen, Cain was intimate with his wife. It doesn't say he met his wife there. It just says that's where they had children. So he could have went to this place, met someone, but it seems more likely that he had a sister and went with her to nod or wandered around. Yeah. Uh, the next question, um, what is the festival of shelters all about and why is it called that? So Leviticus 23 lays out seven festivals and a lot of times like it's one of those areas that if you if you miss the context, you know, it seems real random and arbitrary. But uh, God's laws, God's uh, festivals, there was always very important reasons for this. Um, people were incredibly forgetful. I, I always love to say in messages about how 
days into wandering, they're like, man, Egypt wasn't that bad. I got meat there. Like, I'd rather go be a slave. Like, people are quick to forget. So, so God uh, commanded these festivals, not just as a, a thing to command, but it was supposed to be life-giving and joyful. And these different festivals commemorated different things, specifically the seventh one, festival of booths, shelters, tabernacles, depending on what translation that you're reading, deals with... a. It, uh, God wanted them to remember the 40 years they spent wandering in the wilderness. Uh, I said in Sermon 4, the book of Numbers, the Hebrew name was literally in the wilderness. So they was, uh, I had a professor in college said it should take about two, maybe three weeks to walk from Egypt to the Promised Land and said it took 40 years of disobedience and trial and error for them to wander around. So uh, God's like, you know, you had temporary shelters for 40 years. I provided for you. You spend a week in these temporary shelters, and it's a way that you can remember how I provided for you. These uh, festivals in really cool ways also point to Jesus. In John 1.14, where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, the Greek dwelt, you may have heard this before, literally translates as tabernacle. So Jesus tabernacled among us. He came, set up camp, and dwelt among us. So uh, in that Greek, it was a very distinct picture to these people of like, Jesus came, set up camp so that we could have life in him. Yeah, and we, we really do the same thing in our culture today, except instead of calling them the Feast of Tabernacles, we do things like call them Thanksgiving. Yeah. Or, well, a lot of these are week long. Uh, I, I want a Thanksgiving week. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Turkey yeah. every day, over yeah. and over. Um, you know, and we have Memorial Day, and we have Veterans Day, and we have the 4th of July. We do all of these, set all of these days, holidays, which really comes from holy days. So days that are set apart, uh, which is what holy means, days that are set apart so that we remember, you know, things that were important to us being who we are as Americans, um, and and then we have our holy days that we set apart as Christians, Easter, Christmas. Um, and and so, so those feasts throughout the Old Testament were really those holidays that they set apart to remember the different things God did for them and who they were as a people. So uh, the next question, God didn't create death um, again, death is an effect of the fall of, of man. And when sin entered the world, death was a result of sin. Uh, so God didn't create death, um, which uh, that could be dug into and, and, you know, but we're not gonna go quite there yet. Um, so why do we say that we go to heaven when we die, especially since God didn't design for death to even exist? Um, well, first of all, death, because we live in a sinful, fallen world, death is a reality. So we talk about death because death is something that we all face. Um, but as Christians, when we talk about death, we talk about our physical body dying. Um, and, you know, we believe that our spirit lives for all eternity when, when you've given your faith to Jesus. Um, and although this does kind of make a point that, you know, in Christianity we talk a lot about death, but maybe we need to talk about life a little bit more um, because that is the hope that we have as a believer. And, uh, you know, 
when you get into a conversation with somebody about death, uh, why don't we flip the script and talk about the life that we have and that life for us doesn't end when you know this tent, as the, as the Bible calls it, dies, um, that we can live for eternity because of what Jesus did. Something I've said at youth group before, and I told the first service, don't go post this line out of context on Facebook after, because people are like, stop going to that church. Uh, but between, from after Genesis 2 all the way until Revelation 21, I've told them the Bible sucks. And not that like it's boring or anything, I mean that like life is bad. It's not how God intended it. Only Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelations 21 and 22 are the bookends where everything is how God wanted it to be. Now God's sovereign. He's in control of everything that happens. He's weaving fabric throughout time and history. Um, but the original plan isn't us, obviously, to be mortal people struggling with sin and heartbreak and heartache and sickness. Um, it was that seemingly from everything we can tell, the... the um, infinite life in the garden, to the point that when they built the temple, God had them decorate it with imagery of the garden, literally to remind them, when you're worshiping me, like, like remember that it wasn't supposed to be like this, it was supposed to be the garden that I created that, that wasn't good enough for Adam and Eve. And then Re- Revelation 21, 22, where uh, let's talk about we, we, we'll have no reason to, to mourn anymore, our tears will be dried up, everything is better, there's no more sickness, no more death, no more weeping. Uh, when we get there... Uh, a lot of times we only talk about heaven, but if you read it carefully, it talks about a new heaven and new earth, and, and you get that same picture of a restored, not only garden, but a beautiful city. So it's kind of like the future version of the garden. So, uh, I mean, we have to remember that as, because a lot of times people will be like, why does God allow that to happen? Like, and we have to remember, only those little two bookends are actually what God's plan is, in, in one way. I mean, he's, he plans everything in between, but... But as far as the fullness of God's goodness, it's only in those two bookends. Well, and I just heard, uh, I I was running this morning and I was listening to a a sermon and the pastor said um, that God doesn't make everything in your life happen, but he's in control over it. and it just got me thinking that, you know, if I'm driving down the road, I didn't create the pothole that's in the road, but I have control over the car to make sure when I hit it, I, I don't drive over a cliff. And so same sort of idea that because we live in a fallen world, there's potholes and, and things that are all over the place, um, but God still has control over over things that there's nothing that happens in your life that's that doesn't go through his hands um, so I just thought that was, that was good um, so in Matthew chapter 5 verse 30 uh, and and I'll have um, John read the read the verse specifically but but in it is is Jesus saying, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away for it's better to enter into the kingdom of God without a hand than it is to... Yeah. Uh, 5.30 in Matthews, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away for it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Okay. 
So based off of that, um, the question is, why the right hand? Um, did God plan to make everyone right-handed? Does that make being left-handed a sin? What, why does the Bible always talk about the right hand? Um, and that is because in Bible times and Bible culture, the right hand was the hand of blessing. The right hand was the hand of strength. The left hand was the hand of, of lesser blessing, or it was the hand considered to be the weaker hand. It, um, and that is mostly because most people are right-handed. And so, you know, when Jesus talks about sitting at the right hand of God the Father, um, that's because it's the position of strength. It's the position of blessing. Um, now, that's not to say that, you know, the left hand is sinful or the left hand is is bad. It's just in the Bible, and it's a metaphor for the lesser uh, of blessing or the, the weaker the weaker hand. Um, you know, when Jesus, when the disciples ask, like, can I, one of you, can I sit on one on the right and one on the left? Um, you know, it's not like you're... Can, which one's good and which one's bad, um, it's, you know, the right hand is the hand of, of blessing. Yeah, we, uh, one of the cool examples in the Bible, left-handed guy, Ehud in Judges, has to kill the evil King Eglon, and because he's left-handed, draws a sword from the right thigh instead of the other way, and we were talking about yesterday, mm-hmm. how bad are these guards that they only pat one leg down? Like, yeah. like had they never met a left-handed person before and thought, right. like, hey, maybe we should start patting the right thigh in case the sword yeah. there's our king doesn't he, Yeah, he, in like, the story, he sneaks in his sword because it's not on the left thigh where you would go to grab it if you were right-handed. They just kind of skim over that, and they're like, oh, it's Imagine, good. like, getting through TSA and they only scan one half of your body. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's, it's just... And well, and these are and, not secret yeah. service. Take a bullet no, for you, no, no, no. Like, you, this, this is not low tier. Yeah, well, and and then in the, in the story, like after Eglon gets killed, he uh, runs away, yeah. and uh, and like the guards don't hear anything from the king for a while, and for a while, for a while, and they don't even go check. They're like, hey, he's probably going to the bathroom. I love that so, it's literally worded. They waited until the point of embarrassment. Yeah, like I'm. Yeah, like I'm not sure who is embarrassed. Like they yeah. were embarrassed, or like yeah. I don't know, but. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, that's where the right hand comes from. Um, and it does give a little bit more depth to what Jesus is saying of if your right hand, if the hand of blessing causes you to sin, it's better to remove the blessing than to, to have the whole body thrown into hell. So it goes back to kind of what we were saying about embezzling funds from the company. I mean, if you're stealing a bunch of money from your company, you may be receiving blessing, but you're obviously uh, removing, distancing yourself from God. Um, so better to remove the hand of blessing than to uh, remove the hand of God in your life. So our next question, it was kind of given to us as an opinion and was like, is this true or false? And it's a very specific question, but it gets us into a bigger issue. Yeah. So it says opinion question mark. Uh, I was like, gay people aren't going to hell because they're gay. Heterosexuals aren't going to heaven because they're straight. So it was like, you know, um, 
it was kind of saying like it's not obviously based on something that simple, right? Uh, to which you know it's yeah that that is yeah. correct. You're you're not going to. It's right. not like you're automatically going to heaven if you're yeah. Whatever sin label you have on your life, you, you won't go to heaven or hell based on whatever your label is. Um, you, the heaven or hell is, is based on your relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So if, you know, do, doesn't matter what your sin label is, whether you're, you know, and really you shouldn't have a sin label anyway, but the world loves to put labels on things. So, you know, it doesn't matter if, if what your label is is gay or if your label is an adulterer or your label is somebody who's addicted to porn or a drug addict or whatever. Um, that's not going to keep you from heaven or send you to hell or vice versa. Um, it is whether or not you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your life and you believe and follow him and you've asked uh, for forgiveness of your sins and repented of them and, and are believing in Jesus. Um, so, so that's that part of it. Yeah. And a couple thoughts I have on this um, bigger issue with kind of sexual sin. Uh, one, uh, Ravi Zacharias, a famous Christian speaker and apologist, writer, says that a proclivity or disposition, just anything that you're like predisposed, uh, you have a tendency towards anger problems, tendency to, towards addictive personalities, so you, so you have to refrain from you know, things like alcohol and stuff because that's just in your nature. A proclivity or disposition does not justify a proclivity or disposition is what he would say. So the sheer fact that you're predisposed to something if I have a terrible anger problem and I yell at Brian every day, which would be weird, but uh, <laughs> really out of line, but I just you know, kick in his door and yell at him. And, you know, so he's, and he's like, like, we're going to the elders, it's a problem. I'm like, you understand? I was born with this anger problem. And I, we, we know that. That obviously doesn't justify it, but that gets more murky when we get into these sorts of issues. One thing I'll say on the church end of things that the American church, I think, has done poorly with is I think it's either said sometimes explicitly or insinuated that this sexual sin is worse than others and it was given maybe undue attention. Now, I don't want to say all sin is equal. In one sense it is, it separates you from God, but uh, stealing a dollar from someone's wallet and stabbing them to death, big you know, differences. I, I, like they're, they're not equal in that sense. Um, but I think... Uh, there's ways that I've heard people talk about, like, oh, I want to, you know, this person needs to know Jesus, but they're gay. And, like, it's, like, said as in, like, you know, they're real far from God. If someone is, doesn't know Jesus and they're straight, but they're having sex outside of marriage, they are going to have just as tough of a time of giving that to Jesus in their initial act of repentance and saying, like, look, Holy Spirit, you've convicted me. I'm laying this before you. I don't think it's biblical to act like the one is just so much worse. Like, oh, I didn't have to come out of that. I feel like there's almost this under, unstated thing where like, okay, the guy and girl are sleeping together, but at least they're not gay. And, and I don't think we often worded that way, but I, I think there's just ways I've heard it hinted at or insinuated. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I've done it at one point, I don't know, but, um, but I, I don't think it's biblical. I, I, don't, I don't think that lines up with uh, scripture. I also, one thing I don't like is I think 
I think we get caught up in all sorts of culture wars that, that we waste time on. One of them is the big semantic one over the last few decades of is it a choice, is it not, instead of just knowing it's sin and pointing them to Jesus who can take care of all these things. Um, I think we wasted so much hot-headed breath, you know, over these kind of things. Uh, the way I understand it, uh, uh, actually, I'll say this way. I was in Pittsburgh years ago, like eight, nine years ago, for a casting call for The Dark Knight Rises, the third Batman movie. I didn't make it in as an extra. My life has been in shambles ever since. But uh, um, I went there with a few friends. That, uh, they filmed it uh, in Pittsburgh and uh, wanted to get into the third Batman movie. And there was like a, ho- a big fancy hotel in Pittsburgh where they did auditions. And you had to go back like later and check if you made it to the next round or whatever. I didn't even make it to round two. And uh, they had that. And then there was like a restaurant we wanted to check out. And the parking garage. So kind of these three different places we were walking between. And in that like triangle was the Pittsburgh Pride Festival. So we were walking through that and stuff. And I, I always remember that at one end of it, there was a like big, huge kind of like billboard sign that said, God makes no mistakes. And I remember being like so sad when I saw it because it's true in a sense, but the way it's being used is not true. Now, I think the reason we've bristled sometimes to say like it has to be a choice, like no one was born with this sort of thing, is because that fights with our concept of, of like, well, God wouldn't create you in a mistaking way, but we have to remember that as part of the bookends of Scripture being the only way in God's plan, everything that you're born into now, I mean, it says in Psalms, I was conceived in sin, David says, like, like even in my like, conception of my birth, down to my bones, there's sin. And then if you follow Romans 1 through, Paul talks about how everyone can see the goodness of God in his creation and therefore they have no excuse to not turn to him. Then he talks about how God gave them this natural order of things. They sinned and God turned them over to their desires, i.e. a new natural. So there was a perfect natural and that's the way you were born. You were going to live forever seemingly and you you didn't have sin. You, You didn't get sick. Work wasn't hard. But then after the fall, after sin, we are born into a much lesser natural state. And I think as being born in that state, I think you can have the, uh, an orientation that is sinful. Now, again, the, the disposition, however you want to word it, doesn't justify itself. It's, it's not self-justifying. Um, but we want to be very careful that we don't put this so far above all sexual sins. Um, I don't have the, the verse in front of me well, that you did yeah, earlier. Well, but. Yeah, well, if you want to look for it, because uh, I... Uh, I said um, in, in the first service, um, so I don't struggle with same-sex attraction. I don't. Um, but I do, I'm married to my wife. I'm, I'm attracted to the opposite sex. Now, my struggle would come more in looking at another woman in a way that would be lustfully or or you know checking her out and and that would be outside of what god says is okay my um my struggle would be more towards like pornography or something like that now i was i was born with that in me but that didn't come from god but you know and just like john said anger is something that you know, we all struggle with. It's something that is is in us from from day one. But to just say, well, I was born that way, so like I guess that's who I am. 
is would be wrong just like me you know checking out every every woman I ever saw and and cheating on Bethany as many times as I wanted to because I just said well that's just the way I am um I you know that's that's what I'm, God must have made me that way um well no um and yeah and and plus I would die um <laughs> so there is so there's that too um but uh so there's that and then and but really it it comes down to and all of christianity is this way is saying this is what i want but god says that i have something better for you if you live this way and it doesn't matter whether it's homosexuality it doesn't matter whether it's overeating it doesn't matter whether it's uh you know, holding on to uh, bitterness. Um, God says, this is the way that is best. I have something better for you over here. And it's really about us in faith following that and, and saying, okay, I maybe don't feel that way, God. I don't maybe even want want to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway because I believe that what you'd have is better. And so I'm going to go with what God says is better because I believe that God loves me and that I can trust that. And I mean, same thing with with any of you that have kids. Your kids want to do dumb stuff. Um, And you say, you know, no, because you understand that there's something better. Um, and you hope that your kids will trust that you know better and that you have better in mind for them. Um, I have a, a friend of mine who is a pastor, and if you would ask him, now again, you know, you could argue about terms here, but he would tell you that he's gay. Um, he is married to a woman. He he's has an alliance pastor, too. and he's an alliance pastor. Uh, he's married to a woman, has multiple children, and he said, um, "I have never in my life been attracted to somebody of the opposite sex." But he said, "I came to a point in my relationship with Jesus where I said, you know what? If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm." I'm going to have to not live out this homosexual lifestyle um, that I, you know, I re- recognize that as part of my fallen n- nature. So I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to trust him in that. And that, if that means I never am in a relationship, if that means I'm never get married, so be it. But he said, because I decided to take and put my faith in God and trust him in that and just say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that what you have is better. He said, God put a woman in my life that I love very, very deeply. I love my children. I, he, he said, I love having sex with my wife. Um, he said, I don't, you know, he said, but if, uh, you know, if a woman is walking down the sidewalk and passes me and, you know, she's a gorgeous model of a woman wearing a bikini, just wandering around town, he said, uh, my, he said, I'm never going to be tempted to like turn and check that out. He said, that's just, he said, that's not in me. 
He said, my struggle would be more if, you know, this hot guy walks by that has his shirt off and is glistening and, and all, you know, ripped and all that kind of stuff. He's like, my temptation then would be to look. And he's, he's like, so that, he's like, that's, you know, where my fallen nature has been. But because he, uh, he said, because I trusted God, God gave me uh, a deep, deep love for my wife. And he said, I, I never thought that would happen to me. Um, uh, and so he said, God blessed that um, because he, he, he believed that it would be better, you know, to, to cut off of the blessing of being in a relationship rather than remove the hand of God. But then the cool thing about God and his grace is that even when you say, you know what, I'm gonna remove what I consider to be a blessing to follow you, God's gonna bless that anyway. Um, so it's just really cool. A couple other quick thoughts on this. There's a great little resource, real short little book called Is God Anti-Gay? by an English pastor named Sam Alberry. He talks about how the most kind of deliverance God has given him is just to be celibate. So he's like, at least as of right now, and that's okay. I mean, Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh that God hasn't delivered him from, and we're not going to be fully delivered from everything until this, until glorification, which is when you're in heaven and uh, and you, and all the sin ends. But you know, he's like, so I'm just living celibately. I'm, I'm not going to be with a man because that's sinful. I'm not attracted to a woman, so I'm not going to be with a woman. A couple other quick things. Jesus in Matthew 15 says. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Because they're asking about like kosher laws, and they're like, if you do this, are you unclean? He's like, listen, what's unclean is the sin. Uh, <clears throat> the actual Greek word that's translated into sexual immorality in your Bibles is porneia, which is how you get pornography. And porneia was understood to mean all sorts of sexual immorality that the Bible that they knew in the Old Testament that Jewish people knew. So, uh, yes, it is homosexual sex, but it's also fornication. So, sleeping with someone before marriage, it, you know, it, it, it enveloped a lot of different things. Uh, See, we have this idea sometimes that Jesus made everything easier, like, oh, Jesus came along and loosened up the law. Actually, if you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, he says two things that you should look for in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. One is you have heard it said, he's addressing Pharisees and all their extra little laws. Some Pharisees uh, in in Christ's time debated on how you can divorce somebody. One school of thought, I mean, they said this just to show you how liberally you could divorce, they said, for as little as your wife burning your dinner. So like, like, like that was their way. So Jesus is like, listen, you've heard it said, but I'm going to clear that up. And sometimes he'll say, but, you've, but it's been written. And that's when he's referring to the Old Testament. And he actually takes these laws and makes them harder because he gets to the heart issue instead of the little legalism. I mean, he says, you, like it's been written and, you've, and I think Andy, you've heard it said, like, do not commit adultery. And he says, it's adultery even to look at someone and lust after them, to lust after your neighbor's wife. That's actually harder than what the Pharisees asked you to do. They just said, hey, don't go sleep with that guy that you're not married to. Don't go sleep with that woman or, you know, don't do it out of marriage. And Jesus like, don't even like go around, you know, looking at people lusting after them. So that's actually harder. Last thing I want to say on this question is Romans 1, which is, the, I think, the most definitive New Testament example of homosexual behavior being a sin. Um, it, it talks about, like, 
men having unnatural desire for men and women having unnatural desire for women. And that's used all the time, but sometimes we forget the very next portion, which includes all of us, even if you don't struggle with those things. 28, because they did not think it was worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness. And I think you'll find yourself in this list. Evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, and inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. So you might be like, I haven't murdered anybody, and you're like, hmm. Not listen to parents. Yeah, that's we've all done that. Uh, so like, it, it, and this is why in Romans three twenty three, all fall short of the glory of God. So I mean, we have to remember not to solely focus on one big sin in our culture, especially when we turn blind eyed other sexual sin. Yeah. Well, and uh, the other thing that I, I would say on that, and then we'll maybe move on, but is that. Uh, that in that list is also being unmerciful. And the church definitely has got a reputation and, in, and somewhat so earned the reputation of being unmerciful towards people that are gay um, and that we are some, that we're less loving and less caring um, and less supportive of gay people, not supportive of the sin, but supportive of the people. And, um, and pointing out just the fact that being unmerciful to, to people that are, are sin, doesn't really matter what kind of sin it is, that that's wrong too. Um, that, that those people, you know, deserve love and care and support and, and all of those things just as much as anybody else does. You know, it, it's, if you want to, you know, paint it with a much broader stroke that catches a lot of people, you know, there's plenty of people that are addicted to pornography. Um, I'm still going to care for them, love them, and support them, I'm not going to support, you know, their pornography use. I'm not going to say, yeah, go, you know, go go to it. Uh, I'm, but I'm, you know, I am going to say, look, hey, I I love you. I care about you. I support you. I'm, you know, whatever I can do to help you be an accountability partner for you, whatever. I'm going to do that. Um, you know, the Bible is pretty straightforward in how it feels about divorce. God says, I hate divorce. Um, that does, and, but God also gives some you know, pretty clear uh, ways that divorce can, you know, is allowed. But, but if the church started treating everybody that was divorced like the church has somewhat treated people that are homosexual, um, it, we would have a lot less people in our churches. Um, and so remembering that mercy is, is something that we're called to do and give and, and be, um, that 
loving people, supporting them, and and being behind them. You know, if somebody comes to me and says, "I'm going to get a divorce," I'm going to say, "What can we do to help you stay in? You know, keep your marriage strong. What can we do to help fix your marriage?" I'm not going to say, "Well, sinner, depart from me. I never knew you." Um, so, so. Uh, next one? Yeah, which... Uh, I, I maybe we did. Do you, well, you, I'll just I can do that one, go. then you can end on the same one we did. Yeah, yeah, last yeah. Time. Okay, right. that'll work. All right, we're going to try to get two more in here. Did God actually build the earth in seven days our time, or seven days his time, which is about, the person wrote, it could be like 7,000 days for him. So, uh, I, and I, I think what they're referencing is, in the Bible it says, uh, to God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand oh, years. Yeah. And so uh, they probably meant, they were probably thinking years. So, so did it take 7,000 years to build, you know, create the earth? Did it take, you know, did it take literal seven days? Um, so this is one, um, so basically it was, is it a young earth? Is it an old earth? Uh, was it seven literal days? Was it something, is there another way to understand that? Before I get into I'll give you my thoughts. This is going to be one of those. This is my opinion, definitely not definitive. Because um, one, I, I think we die on too many hills. Like, like there's, we've split too. We've like messed up too many people, split up too many churches, and lost friends or whatever. Gotten a waste of breath on arguments. Like, and I like discussing this stuff. Like, if you want to talk theories with me later, I gladly do so. But. There's something in theology called an open-fisted argument and a closed-fisted argument. So an open-fisted argument is this. Now, this is treated like a closed-fisted argument. It's treated like a litmus test of are they orthodox or not. I've got to see if they believe in seven literal days. I don't think there's any way throughout Scripture you can tell me biblically that that is a closed-fisted, you have to believe that or you can't love Jesus. Now, there are closed-fisted issues. Hypostatic union just... Fancy theological term means Jesus, fully God, fully man, both at the same time, um, two distinct natures in the one person. If you want to teach something here and you deny that to me, I'm going to say, you know, we, we can't let you, like, I'm sorry, like, you know, uh, like, like that's just a problem. Uh, the inerrancy of scripture, meaning it's without error. Um, to deny that it's God-breathed, as First Timothy tells us, uh, that is a closed-fisted issue, like, Orthodox, which means right thinking, orthopraxy means right practice, um, right doing. It's part of, uh, you know, so there's open fist and closed fist in it. I think sometimes we, we, we like to take things that are, should be a little more open fisted and like act like that. There's a bunch of different theories, whether it was seven literal days. Um, I don't go with seven literal days. Now, I told Brian, if you sit me down and somehow definitively prove, it's not going to hurt my faith. I'm going to be like, oh, no, everything's yeah. wrecked. Uh, I, just, I just don't think it, I don't tend to think that way. Some of that's based on the Hebrew being very poetic. Poetic doesn't mean false. Poetic just means it's not meant to be, read, like you can't treat poetry as a factual scientific document. There's ways that the church has done stupid things over the in the medieval ages, um, Copernicus comes forward with the heliocentric model and says, hey, I've done this research. I think the sun is the middle. The Catholic Church persecutes him, puts him under house arrest, and calls him a heretic because he said the sun is the center of the universe. Here's why. One of the reasons, Psalm 104.5, uh, he, meaning God, set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. 
So we took that poetic thing, which says something true. It says something about God's sovereignty. It says something about God knit this universe. I mean, scientists will say, like, if our planet wasn't on the exact axis in its orbit, then, you know, we'd all die because it'd be too hot or it'd be too cold. So God beautifully puts this planet on this specific elliptical orbit and specific tilted axis. But, uh, axis. but people looked at that and they're like, you can't say the earth moves. And because you did, you're a heretic. I mean, people are dying over this thing. And it's like, this wasn't written originally to a, a scientific people in our modern sense. It doesn't mean it's not true. It's just like, you can't go through the Psalms and be like, all right, this is a wonderful like, textbook of how science works. Um, so, it, again, yeah, I think seven literal days is fine, even if that's not my leaning. Um, I, there's, there's different theories out there. I think, I think you need a literal Adam and Eve because uh, Romans 5 talks about how Christ is the second Adam the, uh, and the way Adam let us down, he, he did not. So I think there's some non-negotiables, but something I yeah. think we get a little too right. angry over sometimes. Yeah, yeah. well, and, and the thing is, I would probably lean towards, more towards yeah. a literal seven days. Yeah. Um, we're still friends. Yeah. Um, he thinks. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but... Secretly, I'm like, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I think that um, when God created Adam and Eve, He created them as fully formed adults. So it's very likely that God could create a fully for like fully grown up Earth. Um, I, uh, that's why I think yeah. I think there was a maturity in creation. I also go kind of day age that. Um, I mean, until the fourth day, you don't even have the cycle of sun and moon. So it's yeah. like, what did a day mean in the first three days? Like sometimes, right. and again, like, I don't die yeah. on this hill. Right. I yeah. mean, I don't think it's like useless to talk about. Like, I think it can yeah. be good. It's good natured curiosity that God has given us. And, and uh, you know, I think, right. I think you can look into it a bit. And sometimes I would be led to worship God just because like, man, you're so... Your ways are unknowable. And, and, and you know, in some ways you're just so big and, and that... that Causes me to yeah. worship. But I think what it comes down to is when you're looking at, at scripture and, and it's not like specifically spelled out, you get into a real murky area when you start saying, well, God can't do that. Um, you know, God can do pretty much whatever he wants. So uh, that's why he's God. So, um, so it's a, it's definitely a conversation. It's a conversation that has very, um, strong opinions, but it shouldn't be a conversation that ends conversation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, my last thing is keep like, make sure it's the, it should be a close fist thing. And then you can, you can fight on that one. Yeah. I mean, was Jesus perfect and blameless, uh, to be the appropriation for our sins, yes. Like, um, but, and there's several others, but, you know, yeah. uh, stick to the ones that actually have to be that big issue. Right. Um, and so the last question uh, that we want to hit is, um, is how can I have assurance of my salvation? How can I know for sure that I am saved that I'm going to go to heaven when I die, um, and then also how how can I be saved? How can I 
have that relationship with Jesus. As far as assurance goes, um, I'll just read you a couple scripture verses. Um, 1 John 5, 12 and 13 says that he who has life, or he who has the son of, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Um, So that one's pretty straightforward. If you have Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, you have eternal life. You don't have to worry about it. If you don't have Jesus, you don't. Um, Jesus said, truly I say to you, he who hears my word believes in him who sent me, has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Um, Jesus says again, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Um, So if that's how you know for sure, is if you believe and have faith in Jesus Christ, um, if you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and, and committed your life to him. Um, I will say this with, with belief. Um, there's a difference between having an understanding of something and having belief of something um, that, that I think John referenced in, in James where he yeah, says- I can read it. It's, yeah. Uh, 2.19, you say you have faith for you believe there's one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Yeah, so believing, understanding that God is God and Jesus is Jesus, that's one thing. Having a true belief in something leads you to move in a direction. Um, If I am standing on railroad tracks and I see a freight train coming at me, I understand that because I see it coming. Believing that will make me go, huh, probably shouldn't stand on the railroad tracks. And I move. Um, having, having belief in Jesus should cause your life to move in a direction towards Jesus. Um, it, so it's, it's more than, so there's more than just understanding it because the demons understand that Jesus is the son of God. And, and demons understand that Jesus died on the cross. But... Believing that and let that, letting that belief change your life and move you. Uh, There's a great message at Life this year that deals with kind of spiritual pride versus humility and also deals a lot with this issue. And uh, this guy named Sky Jathani, he's a pastor in the, in the Alliance. Uh, it's online. I can give you a link later if you want, but you can go to the cmalliance.org and resources, I think videos, and then you can watch all these life messages. This was Tuesday evening at Life, our our first message. Uh, He was talked about the prodigal son, and there's just fantastic stuff there I haven't heard before, but then he talked about what is one of the most chilling uh, portions of scripture, even for, as him, a long time, big stage speaker. And he talks about when when Jesus says, look, there's going to come a day where you're going to come to me and and uh, to the door, and, and you're going to knock and say, look, Jesus, I, I knew you. I, I prophes- I'm paraphrasing, but I prophesied in your name. I, I, I cast demons out of your name. I, I, I preached in your name. I, you know, I did all this. Like, I did it in your name, Jesus. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. 
And Sky fleshes this out really well in his message, so I encourage you to check that out if, if, if you have some questions still about this. Or, um, but, you know, it, it's, it's a reminder that this intellectual belief, and yeah, it's a, it's a long process, but we should gradually be turning away, I mean, repent to, to turn away from, like 180 from, from things in your old life and move away. So you should see changing fruit um, in your life. New sins will pop up that you have to bring. Uh, the, the, the cross and the message of the gospel isn't just for your, that initial time you go to an altar and ask for Jesus. It's, it's for your repeated sanctification to look more like Jesus. So um, this is a, uh, do you see changing fruit in your life? Um, are, are you coming to know him? Uh, that's something to definitely speak to us. Uh, you can also talk to one of our elders, if you're close to them, about if you're like, well, I don't know exactly practically what it looks like to, like, maybe I have this intellectual belief and maybe I don't practically know in my day-to-day life what it looks like to come to know Jesus, like, not just intellectually, but as a person. Um, that's something we, is incredibly important and we'd love to, to talk to you and pray with you and kind of flesh it out because I only got so much yeah. time here. Yeah. And, and just the one last thing that in Romans, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Um, that's pretty clear. Um, I, I mean, it's like when we talked about suicide. Uh, yeah, a few um, weeks ago. Or we had that question about that when we talked about depression and suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. and, and Brian addressed the kind of traditional, I think, Catholic understanding of, at least in some Catholic churches, of, you know, if you killed yourself, would you be going straight to hell? And, and the answer was, well, did they know Jesus or not? Because that, if it was about what you did in that last moment or your last year of life, whatever, then, then really it's just about you, which we know isn't the gospel. So it, it, anytime it's about what you did, you know, or, or didn't do or failed to do, that, then, um, I mean, the only thing we do is confess, repent, and have... Uh, yeah belief and I mean they asked Jesus where the two greatest commandments he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and strength and your neighbors as yourself so again talk to us if if you need to know more about what that looks like yeah all right well uh that is our our questions and answers that we're going to get to today like I said if we didn't get to your questions uh we apologize but we will do this again sometime before Christmas and uh, we'll, have, we'll have a continuing conversation. So let's pray as we close.